0: Welcome to the Sign My Book podcast. My name is Lisa McFadden, and I'm your host, bringing you each week inspiring interviews with screenwriters and novelists alike so that we can learn how they work around parenthood, jobs, and the general craziness of life. And if they're an author, I hope they'll sign my book. Let's get started. Welcome back to Sign My Book. This week's guest is Lauren Best. Lauren lives in Ontario, Canada, where she is an interdisciplinary creative with a multifaceted community arts practice that interweaves with her work as a poet, musician, and composer creator. Lauren left her small Ontario town as a young singer-songwriter keyboardist and returned to become Poet Laureate Emeritus of Owen Sound 2017-2019. Her music has been heard on radio from coast to coast, and she's collaborated as a performer and composer across genres and mediums. She's the co-creator of the Infinite Improvisation podcast in collaboration with Seattle-based saxophonist Steve Tressler. She has performed poetry at diverse events ranging from Windsor's Willistead Manor to Owen Sound's Words Aloud. She combined performance poetry with solo music improvisation at Meaford's Electric Eclectics, in twenty twenty three. Lauren's first full length poetry collection, Just Leaves, rose to the number one bestseller in Canadian poetry. Her poetry is featured in anthologies including in the City of Windsor's South Shore Collection series, A Manner of Words, Poetry at the Manor Tenth Anniversary Anthology, and Spike, poems in the time of pestilence. Lauren is currently working on a literary creation works for performance project using her great grandmother's 1933 parenting handbook as source text for found erasure decoupé poetry produced as performance pieces with sound art to create a new audio work entitled Child in the Mist. Lauren has developed an impactful professional arts practice through engaging communities through poetry, voice coaching, music leadership, creative professional development, and mentorship, and as an artist facilitator. She has been nurtured by formal mentorship from professional artists, including musicians, playwrights, directors, songwriters, and creative entrepreneurs. I am so delighted to have her on the show today, and I think you are going to love listening to her. In today's episode, when I interview poet and voice coach Lauren Best, she shares her journey as a writer, from starting as a songwriter to becoming a poet laureate. She discusses the transformation of her identity as a writer and the impact of her tenure as poet laureate on her creative process. Lauren also explores the intersection of spoken word and poetry and the different ways she performs her work. She emphasizes the importance of recognizing and nurturing poetry and the validation that comes with sharing it with others. In this part of the conversation, Lauren and I discuss the challenge of vulnerability in poetry and the transition from music to poetry. In the end, we discuss various writing techniques and processes that can help you tap into vulnerability and promote personal growth. We also explore the power of timed writing, the role of journaling and reflection and healing, and the importance of designing a creative process. Please welcome Lauren. Here we go. Hi, we're back this week on Sign My Book, and my guest today is Lauren Best. She is a poet and a voice coach, and I'm so happy to have her here. So welcome, Lauren. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. You bet. I'm very excited. So I had somebody else who's on the show who used to be a poet and has now moved into memoir. But you are a poet and have been a poet laureate. So I just wanted to start out by asking, like, when did you start writing? So just tell us some background on your writing and how you came to poetry.
1: I actually started writing poetry as a child, which... Looking back on it is maybe unusual for um to to you know, I was I, I was just kind of writing fully finished poems. Um, and then that turned into writing songs. And uh, I'm a musician, so I considered myself more of a songwriter than a poet. So I'd written poetry. I definitely was interested in writing, but it was really coming through in songwriting, and I was performing and and as a teenager I was More and more in the singer-songwriter world, I ended up making an album of songs I'd written while I was a teenager, but I was making the album kind of going into adulthood. So my identity as a writer actually sort of was second at that time to my identity as a musician, even though the songs I wrote were pretty lyrically focused and I would often get feedback about the poetic quality of them also because sometimes they were sort of dense lyrically as well. (laughs) And so I definitely had a relationship to what was going on with the words. But at that time, if I was writing, I was writing to eventually turn it into a song. I was writing some poetry, but I wasn't Often creating space in my life for poetry. To be honest, many things happened in the world of music that I went like even deeper, even deeper into that. Um, I released that record, and you know my dreams came true. I got the Canadian Public Radio play coast to coast. I wanted, you know, I was, I was performing and collaborating, and then I ended up working more and more in music education and helping. Other people become more empowered in their creative process through songwriting, through interdisciplinary arts, media arts as well, through... Theater, um, through working with young children and their families, and uh, research around the cognitive benefits of music for child development and also for seniors. So, I was having this really rich, uh, interdisciplinary kind of career building in my 20s. But I still didn't consider myself a writer then. Like, I was doing writing professionally sometimes for this work, but I wasn't looking to publish. You know, I was still thinking of writing more as a vehicle in facilitating arts projects (laughs) or in songwriting. And then I moved back to Owen Sound, Ontario, where I'm from, the small town. Um, I wasn't born here, but I grew up here. So it's really where I'm from. Um, And I, you know, again, sort of, was living the dream, like I left the big city to to have a child and buy a house in my small town, you know, and and get out of the fast paced stress of all that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And at first, you know, I spent some time being very quiet in my creative endeavors, right? It kind of felt like starting fresh. But of course, you know, you can't, (laughs) you can take, you can take me out of, out of the environment of the city of collaborators that I had become accustomed to, but you can't take the creativity out of my system. I just, I had to keep stirring the pot. (laughs) And I ended up applying to be poet laureate. And I have to say, I applied because someone mentioned to me specifically the application and they had, I was not thinking of myself as a poet those days but I was definitely still thinking of myself as a songwriter and I was still very much engaged in community arts as I was starting to go back to work from maternity leave, and um, I was actually starting my business at that point as well, and and really recommitting to community arts, but in a new way, <laughs> and and re- mm-hmm. re- reconnecting to to positive impact. Like I consider my business a social enterprise. So I was thinking about how how I do that and how I reach people. And around the same time someone asked me to apply to the Poet Laureate program. Or they asked, they, they suggested I consider it. And the previous poets laureate had actually been a team. <laughs> um, the yeah. Sound Poet Laureate program is a really amazing program. And they've had a quite a wide variety of poets um, with different approaches and different themes. Um, and preceding me was a songwriter and a poet that worked together. And so there was some precedent for taking a musical approach to poetry and infusing it with music. So I made the application. I did the application with with some poems actually as well, but with a lot of lyric content. And honestly, that application process alone, I think was part of my transformation into seeing myself more as a writer. Because prior to that, My focus had been on it with my own creations on the music publishing side of it, right? But Mm -hmm. really looking at the lyrics and putting those into an application to stand behind them to say like, I am really actually applying for this, right? And Mm -hmm. not only my own work in the application, because that's part of it, but also the proposal for how I wanted to use poetry in the community for positive change. The focus of the tenure was on children. Which is part of the reason it fits so well because I had been doing lots of work with classroom visits, both with music and with other art forms, and so I'd I'd done work with language arts um, and with community impact, with different kind of creative projects with that, and with working with young children and like so so birth to age five, um, doing family music and using music for development, including language development. So I was really really steeped in all that, and so. Having the opportunity to make an application and say, okay, this is where I'm coming from. And especially because I was in this somewhat tender place of having had my first child and left a career which was going really well. Um, which I mean it wasn't really leaving, it was just an adjustment, but it felt like I was leaving my creative community. It was my choice. I wanted to do that. But <laughs> um, like it was also a homecoming to a new appreciation of this wonderful place I live, <laughs> um, that I still live. But it was a tender time as well, right? Of what felt like a bit of a rebirth and reinvention. In the process of even just like making that application, it was a bit of a, a vision casting of of how mm-hmm. poetry could be used <laughs> and could be an instrument in the community. And so I think it was really at that moment I became a real writer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you have been all along. You just found a way (laughs) to incorporate it Mm -hmm. as part of your work, right? It's part of your vision. Whereas Mm -hmm. that actually sounds like um, an easier way, right? Because sometimes we set out to be a writer. And it puts so much pressure on that work. But you were mm-hmm. looking at the end result of like, I'm putting all these things and I'm saying these things, and I'm teaching these things to support the community. That's a different weight on it, right? You can see that, right? Yeah, it's kind of like I was thinking the other day, I hate to work out. I don't want to go to the gym. But I used to like really having when I was younger, really physical jobs Because you just work out while you're at the job. As long as I'm occupied Mm. and the end result was for something else, it was helpful.
1: I think in focusing on serving the community and empowerment, right? And how I could engage people in appreciation of poetry, because that's part of the role, but also in their own creative processes and in collaboratively creating poetry and in also stretching people's understanding of what poetry is and why poetry is and who is is creating poetry and and how we're sharing it. I think in the process of showing up for other people, it was really transformative for me and it definitely changed the trajectory of how I work with myself in creative process. I ended up creating a new body of work, right? And so a lot of the poetry... Mm. That I created during that time. I didn't actually publish during that time. The focus of the tenure was on children and. There are different legacy projects, is what it's called. The Poets Laureate do, um, at least in this community, every program's a little different. So, mm-hmm. I was doing various things. I was doing workshops in the community and performances and um, readings. You know, I would I, I read at city council meeting, read poetry at city council meetings, and and I actually took that very seriously, like reading poetry at city council mm-hmm. meetings. I created poems with children, and it felt. Uh, like a very mm. important moment to like stand up and not speak for children, but speak the words of children created with children, yeah. and to take that creative energy and bring it into a new space where it wouldn't be otherwise. It was less pressure on me in terms of I wasn't creating work for children at that time, so I wasn't. It took the pressure off in terms of I need to do this big project and make a big thing and publish it, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but. I took it really seriously in terms of how can I reach people and how can I serve the community? And so I definitely put some pressure on myself and had to Mm -hmm. learn and work with that. I also went through a separation while I was Poet Laureate. I went through some pretty big events in my life. And so it was, Mm -hmm. it was a pretty amazing experience of, I would say like it has a sense of being humbling or having humility (laughs) Um, that, that brought humility to me, but also brought like pride uh, like it's this official position right and people are kind of saying oh wow and here i am not even feeling like a real poet yet not feeling like i've even done anything yet because it's the beginning of my tenure it's a two year tenure so i was co-laureate oh, 2017 2019 here i am feeling like i could barely believe i <laughs> i was selected i knew i was i knew i was going to serve and i was going to i was going to do good work but i wasn't feeling like I should be honored as a poet yet, right? As a poetry facilitator, I was ready. But as, as a poet, it was that was a lot. But I think it also, in that roller coaster ride, gave me an opportunity to grow into that, right? To seize that opportunity and to really expand my perceptions of what my own creative life was because i was writing poetry all the time like i was writing a lot for years <laughs> but i had to i had to adjust what my process was and how I wanted to share that and how I wanted to navigate that. So the legacy project I did wasn't a publishing project of my own work. I created poetry play kits at the library, which had different hands-on activities for children and parents or children and teachers to explore different poetry and language and expressive activities in an interactive way uh, because it was important to me that what I did had an activation for other people's uh, creative processes, that it was, it, it was catalyzing and igniting um, possibilities for others. Not that there's anything wrong with publishing as a legacy project. I just, that the nature, it was a reflection of what I learned during my tenure and the nature mm-hmm. of what that was. And as well, the work I was creating was not really for children. Like, I was Poet Laureate at the time. I was being influenced by all that and steeped in all that. And there Mm -hmm. were some poems that I've used in classroom visits that are both for adults and kids. But I wasn't creating Mm -hmm. children's poetry. And in some cases, I was creating poetry that was definitely not for children. That was all really meaningful. But I was also navigating, like, how much of this is part of my tenure So I was performing some of those poems and sharing those, but they weren't necessarily part of the tenure for children to be included in that legacy project.
0: It's kind of like I'm listening to you and what you're saying, and it was almost kind of like you came to this point. People are just like kind of, you know, you're kind of flowing along with just like writing and working, using your writing to help the community then somebody suggests that you apply for Poet Laureate, which, thank you, I had no idea how somebody, that was one of my questions today, it was like, does someone just arrive and go, hello, Lauren, you're the Poet Laureate? Like, I had no idea. (laughs) It was like an application process. I don't know anything about it. Thank you. But that somebody nudged you along and said, hey, Lauren, do this. And you're like, okay, but you know, I'm not really a poet. I mean, but okay. And then... You have all these like while you're poet laureate and you're helping these children and their parents and the community and stuff. You're having all these personal things that are very heartfelt and life changing, and those things are coming in to inform you and push you along even further to create more poetry. And then you published a book, right?
1: Mm-hmm. The book is poems that were largely created during my tenure, and I I actually finished the manuscript for the book. 5 years before I actually published the book. So just after my tenure had ended as poet laureate. During the time I was poet laureate, I decided to write a book. I knew I was starting to like create enough <laughs> that that could be a possibility, right? I actually did publish a chapbook of poetry. Uh-huh. Actually before I even put out, when I was a teenager, I self-published a chapbook of poetry, actually, which was mostly which was mostly lyrics, some lyrics of some songs I never got recorded. So I actually did have a self-publishing moment and I sold it while I was gigging and um, it, it's sold out now <laughs> and all those years later. <laughs> um Anyhow, so I I had decided while well, I was poet laureate, okay, I guess I'll write a book. And actually, I, I had talked to a publisher that indicated they might be interested. And so that really spurred me on to be like, okay, like, if I am a poet, after all, <laughs> I guess poets write books. <laughs> and so I guess if I'm a poet, and I'm really doing this thing, which because like, I'm there being like, sometimes being like, oh, my God. Goodness, this is amazing. And then other times I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm doing this. Am I really the person they think should be doing, this? you know, like it's it's this, <laughs> these mixed feelings, right? And dealing with the self-doubt. But I realized, okay, if I am a poet doing the poetry thing and I am, so I might as well believe in myself and really do the mm-hmm. poetry thing. And so I started more posting more poetry online. I created an interactive online poetry oh. project and started like experimenting a bit. I thought, okay, poets write books, so I'll write a book. Okay, I see how it's shaping up. Like, I I could tell which poems, like, needed to be included. I started gathering it. I started editing it. Like, I started working on the book, right? My tenure ended. I finished up the manuscript. You know, I worked with someone to edit it. (laughs) I got it all wrapped up, and I thought, okay, great. The hard part is over. (laughs) And... (laughs) I thought, okay, it's just going to be a few months and then it like, I'll I'll be able to just wrap up this project and publish it. <laughs> uh, and it didn't work <laughs> that way. Um, you know, it took a while waiting to hear back from publishers and then, you know, deciding to who to pitch and how to manage that and taking my time with it. That was also, uh, so I finished it in 2019 I was kind of waiting to see what would happen and thinking I'm in no rush to publish this and then it was 2020 <laughs> and I <laughs> took my business online and you know went on a whole business journey around how I was coaching and teaching and facilitating and I also had a baby and got engaged and like like yeah. many things happened you know. Yeah. And so I have to admit I was at a point where I thought like where it actually felt like I had failed to publish the book just because I hadn't published the book yet. I think also like some of that is just silly drama I created with myself, but some of it is also starting to think on a longer time horizon, like think of projects Mm -hmm. taking longer, think like I'm not a writer trying to bang out a writing project this year. Like I'm a writer for the next decade. I'm a writer for the rest of my life, actually. You know, mm-hmm. and I already knew it wasn't just about this book that I would publish multiple books, and I knew I was committed right. to that. And I was, I you know, I was working on other projects and were and pitching other poetry projects and and you know working on those on those creative gardens or or, or, or you know yeah, growing yeah. those creative babies or however however we want to put it, but. I thought, wow, okay, like I have this book. <laughs> it's it, it doesn't count until it's out. Like I need to share it with people. And I mean, that was also mm-hmm. because I, I had luckily gotten f- feedback from people. And I thought like, this is selfish of me to not publish <laughs> it. Like I can give up and yeah. like have whiny pants about that. I think I've taken too long, but I can also just keep going and then I will publish it as I intended, and that is that is the important part. So, anyhow, I decided to self-publish by choice because I wanted to be able to have control. <laughs> Not just control, but have options, right? I wanted to be able to actually there there was a specific thing I realized. You know, I was thinking, do I, do I pitch some more publishers? Do I like how do what do I do here? How do I navigate this to get this book out? And I realized in this feeling of like, have I waited too long? What, What's going on here? Like, how do I, how do I finish this? How do I get it out? That it was important to just get it out sooner. <laughs> and so part of the reason I chose self-publishing is because I wanted to be able to get it out more quickly. Having, having waited some time, right? I didn't want to spend more time talking to publishers and pitching. I thought, I have the skills to get this out. And so I'll
0: do it. And I did it. (laughs) That is so fantastic. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us the name of it again? Yeah. So my book is called Just Leaves. So you Mm self-published, but do you sell it only like through your website or are you selling it on other platforms or...
1: It's everywhere you'd buy books, so you can you can oh, okay. buy it from the major online retailers that have many international stores, and you can also <laughs> order it in at your local independent bookstore. And you can also contact me directly, and uh, you can buy it from me directly. You can buy digital from me directly as well. I recorded an audiobook version of it, uh, where awesome. I read the poems, and it's available all over. It's pretty amazing to know. That this book that a year ago, because I put it out last summer, and a year ago it wasn't out yet. A year ago it actually had a different title. <laughs> a year ago I was still worried about m- my like when I say I had oh I knew I had the skills to get it out. What I meant was I knew I could persist until I learned the skills to get it out. You know, and I sure, knew I could yeah. collaborators. I knew I could yeah. persist until I got it out. So it's it's pretty amazing to think that a year ago I was still. Wishing and hoping and working and looking at that vision. And now it's amazing to think that people far away from me have that book on their nightstand and that people, you know, have had the audiobook in their ears. And
0: <laughs> it's uh it was definitely worth it. It's amazing how much we can do in just a year. Like I love that looking back and going, Oh my god, you know, it was just an idea a year ago and here it is mm-hmm. full manuscript or it's published mm-hmm. or yeah you're uh, you're signing books or you're listening to your audiobook that's so amazing how exciting yeah mm-hmm. so i did not have this question but i asked this to somebody else poetry and because also you're a musician mm-hmm. like you were saying when you were a teenager and you published your poems as a book even though they were lyrics the difference that I was told by the other person between spoken word and poetry is because spoken word, it needs to be spoken like a lyric. And it usually has like mm. a rhythm or music or something going with it. Rather, poetry, you can pick up the same off of the page, the same feeling mm. off of the page. But spoken word doesn't really read Exactly the same. And so I was curious if you do you participate in spoken word or you're just like, no, it's poetry, it's singing, it's
1: yeah, no, I would I would consider myself a spoken word poet and spoken word former. However, Mm -hmm. I would not consider myself a slam poet (laughs) or a slam performer. Mm -hmm. So there are poetry slams which are competitive and there mm-hmm. are often certain styles or conventions, or it's it's sort of like a genre, mm-hmm. right? And That's I'm true. not yeah. I'm not a slam poet in if we consider it to be a genre, like loosely mm-hmm. speaking. <laughs> and even within spoken word, there may be folks who are more steeped in the spoken word tradition. Mm-hmm who I don't know if they would consider me spoken word in the same way I consider myself to be spoken word, because spoken word is also sort of traditions or genres within it. And there's also audio poetry and sound poetry and and intermediate poetry. and And there is performance poetry, but there's also other forms of poetry that are audio or performance based that are more conceptual. Mm. And I do a bunch of those things. So some of the poems in my book mm-hmm. are page poems. They started as page poems. They feel like Mm -hmm. a page poem. They look like a page poem. (laughs) And in some (laughs) cases, actually, the way they appear is part of the poem. Um, And so some Mm -hmm. of those poems I do perform sometimes. There's the audiobook version of it. And then sometimes I perform the poems in a different way. Sometimes I perform with improvised music. Sometimes I perform an improvised text setting with the music. So like, I'm improvising how I'm performing the words as well as improvising the music. And then sometimes I'm more or less reading the words, like I'm performing them or doing a bit of a straight read, but there's music with it as well. And I've been experimenting with different formats. So I've performed poetry with band improvising along with it as a collaboration. I've performed poetry where I'm getting into extended vocal techniques, which is basically like sounds with your mouth and, and singing and using instruments. And it's it's a different, more experimental style of performance. Um, yeah. I've also performed poetry where I'm more or less doing your accompaniment with music than reading like from my book at the same time. And so some mm. of the poems that are in my book did start as spoken word as opposed to page poems. So sometimes mm-hmm. I write something and it feels like, like spoken word. I hear it as spoken word. <laughs> sometimes I've actually written poems by speaking them into voice notes mm-hmm. and either having them transcribed or, or recording the audio and mm-hmm. listening to it later. And sometimes it really is arriving as a spoken word piece. Like I, and I feel mm-hmm. that and hear that. There's a poem in my book that I performed a fair bit as Poet Laureate and performed it as a spoken word piece. And it was really living as that and like had a had a clear performance <laughs> as that. But then when I was editing that poem for the book, I was looking at how can I take the performance of it and translate that to the page the best I can. So sometimes I'm using line breaks, not only for the same reasons I would use them in a page poem, but I'm, I'm sometimes mm-hmm. using line breaks in the structure of the poem to suggest aspects of the performance to try to bring mm-hmm. those together a bit more. I'm actually working on an audio poetry project right now um, that oh, cool. isn't page poetry,
0: that, that the final project mm-hmm. is an audio piece. Oh, wow. You'll have to let me know because I'm very fascinated with it lately i find myself doing a lot of it um you know more with a percussive sort of rhythm to the words but they'll read rhythmically on the page but i feel like i have to say them out loud and just like mm. what you were saying is like have you know like notes i notes or whatever like transcribe it down but that's the type of writing that i find comes to me very very fast like mm-hmm. white hot lightning and I have to sit down and write it I- immediately there are other things like you know fiction writing and stuff like that where I know other people get that kind of like rush to do it but for some reason I don't know because of the way it's abbreviated and it's fast and it's just like mm-hmm. moving I just sit down and I'm like okay I have to write this out right now or it's gone. <laughs> and then I don't know. I'm always like, I don't play an instrument. I'm not a musician. I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do with this. So I just leave them in <laughs> in a Word document. <laughs> what,
1: what you're saying is really resonant in terms of the experience of these somewhat intrusive spoken word pieces. <laughs> and I think when I was trying to write songs, I was often writing not always in the style of spoken word. Sometimes in other styles, but mm-hmm. I, I think I sort of I make it sound like I was writing all these songs all the time. But I think the reality was I was often writing poetry. I knew I was writing poetry. I just didn't think of that as being one of the outputs I was looking for. So I didn't think, oh, I wrote this poem. I'll clean it up and share it. I thought, oh, okay, that's nice. Maybe I'll write a song tomorrow. You know, like it wasn't it wasn't on the table as as something to share. At that time. Right. I think this idea of writing poetry and that is necessary to recognize the poetry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like it can burble up, but you have to recognize what it is, you know? And in haiku writing, like they call it the way of haiku. Mm. It's not just an art form or a process. It's a, a way of being. And it's, I think sometimes poems come even if you don't create space, but if you don't mm-hmm. capture them or I think they're poems or, or if you don't, if you don't somehow hold that space for them, mm-hmm. then they'll be gone again, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and I've noticed in I've noticed as both as a voice coach and also working with people on their writing and their poetry and their their voice or their creative voice in that sense even if it's not their physical voice it's still part of their voice and expression mm-hmm. that often you know we need a little nudge or or a little help to recognize that it's there that we already have this bubbling up from us, or have this capacity, or maybe just have a a feeling or a nudge or calling to nurture. But mm-hmm. I I think it I think both in in expression in in other ways and and in the writing part that there's a recognition there to mm-hmm. sort of unlock the potential because because otherwise it's it's sort of laying flat.
0: We need to fluff it up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 definitely definitely um it was kind of i guess validating when all mm. of this started coming back up again because it was confirmation to me that moving back into more of a fully creative space after living in a very corporate structured environment for so long mm. and i've spent the last couple of years out of the pandemic, trying to get back into the creative space that I was very familiar with when I was younger. When that Mm -hmm. started surfacing, I was like, wow, I haven't, nothing like that. I haven't taken any of it seriously anyway, not for like 20 years. So Mm. I loved it. But then now I'm like, I need to speak to more poets. I need to know what this is. I don't Mm -hmm. know what this is. What to do with it? Mm. I'm just walking around my house. Like I was like, okay, maybe Mm. it's not rap. (laughs) So I don't know what I'm doing. I wanted to ask you, what do you love most about poetry? And you've kind of said it. Mm. You've certainly expressed it. It's a choice to validate
1: it. Like It's an almost delicate art. When I was still very immersed in writing as a musician, and in some ways the stakes were lower because... Like in music, you can write lyrics in all kinds of different ways. I mean, sometimes there's very typical formats, but you can really, really stretch that, Mm -hmm. right? It's a bit different than a poem. But just at that time in my life it was really hard to actually hold the space for myself to consider anything a poem and stand by that and not be overwhelmed with the cringe and the pain mm. and the mm. the uncertainty and I I wasn't I didn't have a lot of poets around me at that time mm-hmm. maybe I did but I didn't I didn't know it yeah. <laughs> you know you're a musician you want to be cool and yeah. like standing up and reading a poem is very naked yeah compared to doing music, right? Like It's a very different thing. And and when you're used to the vibe and the physical sensations of creating music and creating music is different for your brain, Mm -hmm. your perceptions of what you're giving to an audience are different, your perceptions of space and time are different with music, right? So to then go from that, and I mean, at a time in my life, I was also like playing with indie bands and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was a literally a lot of noise. Like it was literally a lot of signal, Mm. you know, a lot of Mm. signal in my life in general. I was living in the heart of of the biggest city in Canada, right? It was, I was living downtown. I was, I was really in it. Um, And there's so much signal, right? And poetry now, I really value being able to show up in that nakedness Mm -hmm. as a poet. It can be tricky in the process, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not as clear cut. Mm -mm. Sometimes you have to try removing half the poem. I mean, other writing can be that way too, but there's something especially liminal. Mm -hmm. And whereas before that was difficult for me. Mm -hmm. And I did some of that kind of thing anyway, right? Like I was doing improv with people. That's even riskier, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Both improv music and I mean like improv scenes too, right? <laughs> I was there for the stretching and there for the risk. But at the same time, there's something about poetry. It's not just risk-taking, right? Like it's it's different than doing an improv scene. It's like you've, mm-hmm. it's carefully crafted and it's aesthetic There are like many rich traditions that lead us to that present moment of that poem, you know, like within poetry, there are a lot of choices you can make around the musicality of it. So I think part of what I love is that poetry and music, like there are intersections between poetry and music in terms of, and between lyric writing Mm -hmm. too, um, in terms of rhythm and the different kind of devices we can use and the actual sounds, right? Mm Mm-hmm you know, and the form, right? But there's still a lot to play with. So even though there there are traditions, there are rules, right? There's this darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, And although that before I think held me back, I think now I feel it allows me to connect with audiences even more deeply. I did a performance this summer where I performed uh, poetry for my book, as I was saying, with more improvised vocal performance that was nonverbal and also also verbally improvising um in terms of the performance of it um uh, in terms of how how I'm delivering the words. And I chose to do that performance really stripped down mm-hmm. uh in terms of the music side of it. I did do improvised music with it, but I often play piano. Um mm which is my main instrument. I guess my voice is really my main instrument, but (laughs) um, I often before that had been playing piano to accompany the poetry. Mm -hmm. But for that performance, I did glockenspiel, which has a much different, it's not full like the piano, right? Like I didn't want any opportunity to hide in the piano. Mm -hmm. So I used glockenspiel, which was very stripped down, not totally comfortable for me. Um, I'm not, like a mallet percussion pro. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I can certainly play it, but it wasn't, um, I couldn't dive into the music of it. Mm -hmm. I had to really keep on the edge of the performance and the poetry of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I used Thunder Tube, which is a, uh, Thunder Tube is a a name for a spring drum. And so I was vocalizing into the spring drum. They aren't usually used by vocalizing into them. They're usually, you shake it and tap it. And it creates this kind of spooky sound. Mm And so I was vocalizing into it. All of that sounds probably like it's a lot of bells and whistles compared to just a poem. But compared to playing piano, those were sort of stripped down choices. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that setting up the performance that way with more stripped down instrumentation, but also more um, primal instrumentation, yeah. right? Like um, a piano is a very engineered instrument, Right. Mallets are much more direct sounding and literally direct, and um, same with with vocalizing, which is which is a very primal thing. I f- <laughs> I know this may may seem like, well, what does this have to do with loving poetry? But because I was improvising those things, like that was a real choice because I knew showing up on that stage
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the vulnerability of improvising on these uh, more stripped down instruments with the poems and also the contrast between having textures of music and then just the poem. I mean, I also heard back from people, (laughs) but there was a different kind of connection and a different kind of example setting. (laughs) And I think that sort of being an example of holding that poem and saying like, here is my poem. I'm giving it to you. I made this and and this is all it is. All it, and I mean in the case of haiku, like all this is is three lines. And like please take these, it's just three lines, and and here they are. <laughs> there was something about that in that performance that really kind of crystallized for me, even though I'd read poetry a lot and I'd been, well, not literally naked on stage, but I had felt very <laughs> naked on stage reading poetry, sometimes reading really new poems, mm-hmm. right? And performing them in different ways. But just to paint the picture, this is an outdoor festival with experimental music. And mm-hmm. there's these rolling hills in the background. So, as I'm reading this poem, it's for the people gathered. It was opening up the festival, too. Yeah, like it's just starting. And here I am with these words. and and there are these rolling hills. And so, like i'm I'm speaking these words. and like I can literally see, like, wow, this sound is like, traveling so far beyond me, both to these people and like literally over the landscape, like, you know, we're writing and we're in our notebooks, right? (laughs) Or like we're performing in a venue and all we see is the lights, but I'm like in this landscape. And there's something about that experience Mm -hmm. that felt very connected to me with how, and that's also because I chose to show up that way. I very intentionally thought, okay, I am going to be on stage taking a really big risk and making weird sounds and doing things <laughs> with my I've never done before. And through that, the people there will, even if they hate what I do, but they are going to see me showing up in this way and showing up with that poem in that way, you know, and not, you don't have to like every poem, that's fine. But there's something about the gift of a poem mm-hmm. <laughs> and the sparseness of that. And I've written some yeah. very long poems, too. They're not always sparse. Mm-hmm. There's something about the sparseness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I, yeah. I, it's a challenge for me. Maybe that's why I like it so yeah, much. Yeah, maybe. I think I you know, was listening to you and I was thinking that you're performing it, which is a lot of the vulnerability. Writers generally, we're writing. We're writing stories. We're writing whatever. We put it in a book. It goes out or a screenplay and it goes out and we're not there for people to read it. Mm. And we're not there getting their reaction like right there. And I think mm. there's a vulnerability, of course, because many writers are I was too very stuck because we became afraid of our voices. So, you know, it was like, oh, I people will judge me, they'll think about me. you know, but whatever. So that's to me, even a step further. Is because I'm thinking the thought of like sharing what I, you know, just like wrote out myself is just like, oh my God, this is so raw and whoa. I can't imagine like <laughs> saying this out loud and people are like right there and you get their response like right there, you know, like performers talk about the energy that they put out over the audience and the audience gives it back and it's this energetic flow that's happening, right? You know, it took me so long just to like start putting words on a page again. And the times that I've written poetry and people have expressed it and I got offended, but a friend of mine told me it was actually a very nice compliment. (laughs) Because you mentioned haiku I was in a writing classes many years ago and I was like, oh, haiku is so, this is dumb. Like, what kind of assignment is this? Like, I was so just like, and I hope I'm not a finny because I don't actually think that. But at the time I was just like so perturbed with this instructor and everything. And I was like, this is, why aren't we writing stories? Why are we writing books? Blah, blah, blah. And so I went home and I just, I couldn't think of anything. And so I just wrote what I saw and I wrote seven verses of this haiku and it was just all about the things in my apartment and how I don't have time to clean any of it up. And I took it back and we had to read them out loud, which I didn't know I was gonna do, at the museum, the art museum. And so I stood there and I read it out loud and she was just like sitting there like this, staring at me. I know listeners, you can't see me, but she's just staring at me. And then she was like, oh, that is so irreverent. <laughs> And I was like, oh, <laughs> and somebody I know was like, oh, my God, I would die to be called irreverent." That's amazing. <laughs> I was like, is it? She just told me I'm offensive. But mm. yeah, and then I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting because like I wasn't like, you know, this is probably something towards creative process, but I wasn't like trying to write haiku I was just like, oh, this is dumb, whatever, okay. And it's like when you surrender to it, that's when it just kind of seems like it comes through really mm. easily, more easily.
1: I think surrender has something to do with it, right? And mm-hmm. that there's a releasing of expectations almost. It may have made it sound like, oh, this is a gift. Like, I really want you to like it. It can be tricky. Like sometimes we want feedback because we are working on our craft and sometimes that feedback can land or not land and sometimes (laughs) it's useful later or sometimes we see the compliment in it later or sometimes I've gotten compliments that are compliments and they are true in some ways Mm. but there's something like between the lines or implicit Mm. in it that just sticks with me and bugs me and like it's not that it was untrue or unkind like it was a nice compliment but Mm -hmm. that it still like made me realize things and like, like, and really actually like impacted the direction I took because I realized that maybe even though it was true and it was kind, it wasn't the type of compliment I'm looking to get in the future. (laughs) Right? Right. But yeah. with some of this, I think because I came from a background of so many different kinds of performance, like both as a singer songwriter and going through just, you know, like rough performances as a singer songwriter where you don't get appreciated, yeah. right? Where people, where you're just not in the venue that is giving you that kind of audience mm-hmm. feedback that you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, also I've had amazing performance experiences where you really do feel that exchange of energy idea mm-hmm. and everything in between, like supporting other people in recording or live um, or you know i'm playing with bands and singing with experimental improvising choirs and like doing theater and lots of different things where what i got out of it was different and sometimes that means feedback from the audience and sometimes that means not feeling connection with the audience and times also where people let me know something connected with them but i wouldn't have Felt or noticed that at the time I wasn't vibing from what was going on in the audience, (laughs) but yet I'm told afterwards that things have happened and I don't even know. So I think this balance, right, in performance. I mean, there's times where I just post something and like a a poem, or I email it to someone, and it's still scary. Yeah, like I, you know, I've still had to build up that muscle. But in performance, there's something about the potential of reaching people and connecting with people even in a non-linear way, even if they hate it, but that Mm -hmm. stirs something in them, right? Like, even if it's in in a way that is not necessarily how I intended it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't know what people are going to do with it, right? Like, I don't know if it's going to be that it's reflective for them or it's inspiring them in their own vulnerability and how they share, how they perform, or whether it's something for them to kick against or whether it's emotional, whether it's really conceptual, right? So there's this idea of like, I'll show up with intention I have built sometimes around like, like that performance where, where I had a lot of intentionality around wanting to show up with a particular kind of vulnerability in order to, well, in order to almost create a situation where I can almost channel and almost be in a different state myself, that we can get some magic happening. We'll put it that way. (laughs) but also, just to be an example of standing up in that. So, there is this intention and this drive behind it. And it's so it, that makes it where it's worth it to take the risk. It's worth mm-hmm. it to overcome fears or doubts. Like, it makes this greater purpose. But at the same time, there's a, separating myself or not attaching myself to the result in terms of expecting a certain kind of feedback or requiring a certain kind of mm-hmm.
0: feedback or 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 needing that, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what would you say to anyone who's like struggling with it? Because I know that you talk about like finishing creative projects and the creative process. What would you say to somebody who's like struggling with their own process or... Yeah, who's struggling with like with their own process of not being able to really, you know, get to that place of vulnerability. I personally Mm. see that in people's writing. And is that something that you ever came across, you know, when you were working with people in the community about like helping them to be able to express themselves and move into that vulnerability? Mm. What would you say to people who are having trouble in that area? It
1: can sort of depend on the person, right? Mm-hmm. So as a facilitator, if I'm still and coaching someone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not my job to decide how vulnerable they are when. And sometimes we just need some more time to heal mm-hmm. or we need some time for our nervous system to settle down um, because sometimes we are still in a state mm-hmm. that where our cognition is literally reduced because we are still having a trauma response. I can never know what's going on for people. And and sometimes that it's still okay to, you know, sometimes things can be new and tender. And it's still okay to explore those things or write about them and decide to do that. Mm-hmm. It depends on the purpose, right? So like I'm not necessarily the person to say now is the time to be vulnerable for you. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's about timing, too, in terms of how we are vulnerable and when and how much time we allow ourselves, both for getting to a place where we are, like the vulnerability can mean different things, right? So getting to a place where we're ready to be vulnerable. So, you know, those poems I performed this summer, Mm -hmm. I'd finished the manuscript five years ago. Like I'd sat with those poems for a long time. I had had those moments of being scared to share them with people lots, right? So before I was in this state of presenting them in a new way and taking creative risks with them and publishing them, like I'd had a lot of time to sit with them, to also try them out in vulnerable moments, right? To even like work with them and editing them with some vulnerability. If people are thinking, oh, like I think I want to approach the vulnerability, but it's just not happening, you know. So assuming, assuming that it's the right time and that they're allowing themselves time, there's lots of little fun tricks we can do. <laughs> um, and as as a voice coach, I think using our actual voices mm-hmm. to explore different kinds of emotions or different kinds of characters mm-hmm. or different ways of expressing and being, you could totally vocalize. This doesn't necessarily mean singing in th- five different ways and then do some writing that is touching into five different parts of yourself that you don't usually look at. Because if you're vocalizing in ways that are not related to words that are touching into pre-verbal places, that way you're Mm -hmm. skipping the logic (laughs) and and you're getting into things that are a little more primal, like whining, like talking in a whiny voice, starting to moan and almost pretend to cry, which I would not recommend for everyone. Like, take care of yourself. But if you're wanting, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get into a crying state. But I'm saying make... Cryy noises, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually allows us to access different parts of our voice, the thin edges of our vocal cords. It's also a part of our voice we don't really give ourselves permission to use generally, mm-hmm. except for in certain circumstances. Um, so I'm talking about things like
0: oh
1: wow. Like almost a creaky door, like things yeah. that Probably most people don't want to hear. I'm sorry to your uh-huh. listeners if you wanted a warning for that. Um, but like th- that's un- that is unusual. I would say most adults probably may have never given themselves permission to make those kinds of sounds unless they're perhaps like doing vocal work or somatic work or right. you know acting or something, right. Mm-hmm. That could also be laughing. It doesn't have to be tender. Mm-hmm. Um, but another example is a really annoying voice the kind of voice (laughs) that a kid uses to get what they want. It makes me uncomfortable to do that. Like I feel something just Mm -hmm. doing that to you. I want to hide it. Like I don't want to write about that. Maybe I should. Like I do not want to do what I'm (laughs) suggesting because that is actually vulnerable for me. Like it is tough for me to feel demanding and annoying and it really triggers it quickly. Um, But for some people that might be whispering that might be like talking as if you're talking to a baby or talking as if you are talking in baby talk or maybe that's whispering in a seductive way Mm -hmm. or maybe that's um, like there are lots of examples right where we can touch into different parts of ourselves, and it doesn't have to be the most vulnerable thing but this can get into places that we're not trying to get there through the words, Right. we're seeing what happens when we kind of shake things up mm-hmm. and mix things up in our, in our minds and yeah. in our bodies and see what results. And there's, I've heard other people give suggestions around this. Rick Rubin on his podcast was mm. recently talking about, uh, he put it in his book about putting on a timer and punching a pillow for five minutes and then writing. Yeah. Um apparently, Again, that makes me uncomfortable. Like I do not want to punch a pillow for five minutes. So maybe I should do it. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm maybe that's my next challenge, what I'm what I'm ready
0: to to jump into. Well, that's I mean, like you just like making these sounds. I know I started noticing like one, I don't that's fine, you know, or the other one was just like, oh my god, please don't do that. (laughs) Like and then I was like, you're like, well, maybe we should write about and I was like, oh my God, what is that? Like, why is that so irritating? Was the first, the creaky door, I was just, the whining, I was like, ha ah, ha, oh my God. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> immediately just like, oh, now I'm going to go punch the pillow. And then, then we will write. I don't know what would come from that, but wow, yeah. that's amazing. I've never thought of like, You know, we use writing prompts because we're just, like, on the page, but never actually a vocal prompt like that that's touching into something Mm. that actually feels like, to me, opens up a different area, like, around, like, your heart area or, you know, around Mm. here. I mean, I know Mm. if we want to get super, you know, like, woo-woo about it, but all the different energy centers... And the heart center, you know, maybe it's triggering one of the centers that's blocked, you know, who knows? Mm. But yeah, mm. so that's a yeah, whole and
1: podcast. Like, <laughs> you could, yeah, you could do it with a movement prompt too. Mm. Like, so these were sort of, I wouldn't call those musical vocalizations. Mm. Those aren't necessarily tapping into the music side of ourselves. You could mm. totally use music as a way in or movement as a way in. Like, and we think differently with movement. So mm-hmm. you could use different kinds of Instead of having a writing prompt,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you could use different kinds of physical positions. Right. You can also go the other way and take words into physical positions, mm-hmm. and then take the physical positions back into back into writing. Right. Um, and I like. I'm am a big believer. I mean, also just just going for a walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But you could use music too, and and I would think of music a little differently than other vocalization. I mean, but it's also before the verbal part of our brain it's it's different music has so much structure and there's so much culturally with mm-hmm. music and like we each have so much in our own stories around music mm-hmm. it's not quite as simple as some vocal sounds mm-hmm. um like because you know you could put on some music and write right yeah. but you can also imagine music and write um and uh improvising vocal sounds is great Improvising vocally, in terms of actually producing something that is whatever you think music is, mm-hmm. is also very powerful and way more accessible to people than they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be mimicking vocally at first, mm-hmm. um, if it's a block to just to just let it flow. Because mm-hmm. when I say let it flow, like zero expectations, it does not matter what it is. But if you let yourself meander musically vocally, mm-hmm. um. It's shown to increase your ability to get into creative flow state. And so like we practice being able to associate into that. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually they've shown, um, because I was reading a study on this, I was very excited to find it, uh, that even imagining improvising vocally helps get you into that creative flow state. Mm -hmm. So even if you aren't using those things as as prompts per se, you can totally Mm -hmm. use them as prompts, right? But even if you just without attaching anything to it, just do some vocal improvisation, that alone is going to help get the juices flowing, right mm-hmm. it, it helps it helps get things firing. Um, and that will help you get into creative flow because it kind of depends on like why are we why are we having a hard time being vulnerable? Mm-hmm. you know? like is it an issue of not wanting to touch upon the things that we think that we don't like and we think other people don't like? Mm-hmm. Often like that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so, some of those like vocal prompts, we can, we can like feel into that pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of follow the cringe a bit, yeah. right? I think following the cringe, you don't, you can, you don't have to show it to anyone, right? But you can follow it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, we can, we can do some of that, like setting that up before as well with how mm-hmm. we are like using the, the um parts of our brain that let us guide someone mm-hmm. <laughs> to guide ourselves in a creative process right where we know we can touch upon those things right and where we mm-hmm. set up our mindset and really investigate um like is it actually a threat to me to be vulnerable in this mm-hmm. way or do i just still feel that way mm-hmm from my childhood or from my assumptions or from how I've been trained or from my experiences, you know, is there something that that's holding me back that I can, that I can kind of pre work on, right? Mm -hmm. Through things like, things like mindset, but also through designing creative processes, designing different, we could call them prompts, right? But different kinds Mm -hmm. of creative limitations that, that are going to help get us there. Um, then like the vocal sounds are more of an in the moment thing, right? So yeah. you might have done that kind of prep stuff or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can kind of just get there in the moment with some vocal sounds or some music. Um and and then once we're there, right? Is it is the issue touching upon that, which we which you were finding, we were yeah. both finding the vocal sounds <laughs> yeah. we're doing, like we just that like quick access, right? Mm-hmm. Um but but sometimes it's a, like it's it's so sometimes it's about that but sometimes it is about getting into the creative flow state right mm-hmm. so that we can just spend time there so that we can just spend yeah. time with it without it feeling tight and blocked so even without doing because for some people doing those kinds of sensitive um, sounds is going to actually make them stiffen and make mm-hmm. them pull away and it may be too much too fast mm-hmm. right yeah. um, that might not work for everyone and so mm-hmm. for some people letting putting themselves like through vocal improvisation through Mm -hmm. going for a walk through through other things um put them in a state where they are more able to get into creative flow through just practicing creative flow right so like you're better able to get into that and so then instead of a prompt that shakes you up, which I like those, right? Yeah. But at there's times in my life where I would not have responded well to that. And instead, we want to get into a safe, creative flow that we are familiar with. And from there, touch on those things that might be more sensitive to us. Yeah, um, I think there can be some like investigating, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um... And and for me personally purpose is a big thing because like I can be vulnerable all day long alone and mm-hmm. I can I could do that in a way that is kind to myself and perhaps caring but I can also just like poke and dig and cause myself to suffer Mm-hmm. I mean, I say all day long, but I-, I can do that for quite a while. If You know, if left <laughs> undisturbed, I can just like keep stewing. And that doesn't necessarily result in creative output. Right. So if I have a, a larger purpose to the vulnerability of this may be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I know that I am in this discomfort for a reason, mm-hmm. because one day <laughs> this is going to be contributing to my body of work and whether it is actually this. One piece of writing or whether it's what that leads to. And I trust that I'm creating that body of work for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I trust that this process is contributing to that body of work, which is ultimately helping other people. And I mean, there's also a lot of like, and through that, it selfishly helps me like (laughs) I feel better through helping other people. Um, And so like, it is in some ways about me first. (laughs) But at the same time, like, it's also a recognition that Mm -hmm. The impact and ripple effects are far beyond what I control can control. as much as I would like to control and know every little piece of impact. and please give me all your feedback. Like, like the whole point is to ripple way beyond myself. And um as like i I, I think there's a balance, right, between, mm-hmm keeping it closely tied to our desires and our calling and our pleasure and our challenge and our our strengthening and like to be in that personal journey to 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 take care of ourselves and to relate to ourselves as creatives while also remembering that it's not really about us or else we wouldn't have to do it <laughs> right like we would we could we could just write and burn it every time you yeah. know because it's not really about
0: us right yeah Yeah, exactly. I think part of that energy flow is we create something, we send it out into the world. And it's not necessarily about, you know, getting caught up in like reviews and what people think about you creating that work. It's how that person reacts to that work and what they create as a reaction based on their reaction from that work. So even if it's like, you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? So it is like, Going Mm -hmm. back earlier when you were saying, here's this poem and I have it, I'm going to give it to you. And that's Mm -hmm. what it is. And it just moves Mm -hmm. on. So where you're Mm -hmm. saying like there's audio prompts and stuff like that, your work can actually do that for somebody else.
1: And I should also mention on the kind of the flip side of it Mm -hmm. is that. Like there's a there there's a lot of different ways to be vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being yeah. vulnerable doesn't necessarily mean every painful thing oh, yeah, we no. bring out in our work, or every <laughs> painful thing we bring out in our um, like how we share in in settings like this, right? right. Um, and so there there are definitely things that have hugely impacted me especially grief where mm-hmm. like I needed time away from grief to be able to bring grief into my work like it took time yeah um to to bring it into the work but what I wish I had known s- sooner and I mean it's not that I it's not that I didn't I didn't know it but <laughs> um I like I wouldn't necessarily even write for myself about those things partially because I felt I want to write things that I can actually bring into my professional work. And I don't want to do that. So I'm just not going to write about these things at all. Like I wouldn't use it as a way, as a form of, um, of, of like release or things like that. Like the Mm -hmm. idea of people writing just to release, like maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm in a mood for that. But a lot of times I've Mm -hmm. found that very difficult because it feels Mm -hmm. tied to connecting with others, to professional Mm -hmm. things. And it almost feels like something I'm not, um, like trying to, well, act, trying to use the artist part of my brain when I'm still in the surviving part of my brain, right? <laughs> um, and it's felt like attention. Mm-hmm. So, what I wish I had known earlier um, is that there are like scientifically shown benefits to writing several times on the same vulnerable topic. And by vulnerable, what I mean is something that is difficult for you. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I, I learned this. Um, from Huberman Lab, he mentioned this protocol, and I y'all can look it up because I don't remember exact <laughs> the, <laughs> the exact formula. I think it was mm-hmm. I think it was twenty minute sessions, either mm-hmm. three days in a row or once a week for three weeks. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't like daily uh-huh. for a month or anything. It was, I think. Three two, three, four times like in that, in that range, a small amount, but it was doing, it was the same revisiting the same difficult thing. Um, and then, and having that timed writing aspect, Mm -hmm. um, and it had really remarkable results, like really remarkable, like, Sig- significant to the treatment of trauma and of mm. depression kind of results. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and I don't know if I have ever done that in my life, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, I have not done that since hearing about it because I'm working on some stuff, on some projects, <laughs> like on other writing, you know, like I've, yeah. I've had other things to write about. But you know what? I will I will say it on this podcast that I promise I will try it and do it because mm-hmm. I don't think I have ever, I have done lots of timed writing. I don't think I've ever in my life revisited the same difficult thing more than once in yeah. timed writing. <laughs> or maybe more than once at all. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but more than once in timed writing and with a bit of structure with it being like relatively closely like like separated by a bit by at least a day, but relatively close. And um yeah. like I think I think I think no at least for me knowing that 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 has helped other people is definitely something that um well I was already committed to trying it out so it was easy to promise to do it today (laughs) Um, but it's made it it, I'm excited to try it because even though writing is a big part of my life it has actually and and it's it is a big part of reflecting but um in some of my most difficult moments it is not what I'm turning to to write for 20 minutes and so I'm really looking forward to um like ha- having that to give me the nudge
0: to mm-hmm. trust the process yeah. and, and do it. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, well, we are like at the end of our show, but I wanted to ask you, and well, and, and, and we could keep talking forever because I'm like, oh, well, I, I journal. I'm a very, very avid, voracious journaler. And so I write through a lot of traumatic events. That's what has helped me move to a place finally of being vulnerable. And so, yeah, I do understand that. Mm. And it does work. It's very helpful, especially with traumatic experiences, so that you begin to see it objectively and it no longer is attached to you, um, you know, like emotionally. You still... you you have like wisdom mm-hmm. over it. You can see it from an objective position and it's easier to write about. Like, cause you can see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Like, It helps you take accountability and it helps you preserve yourself. Cause if you were a victim in any way or anything like that, you're able to stand back and go, oh, okay, it wasn't my fault. And I was just mm-hmm. an innocent bystander and this happened and they did not take responsibility for themselves. And and it's very freeing. But it can be, mm. depending, and it takes time. I mean, depending on the depth of the wound, it can take for a very long time. And But, I mean, I've journaled every day for years. Years now. I have crates. I have a few boxes of journals. But it does. Mm. Um, I did not do the timed aspect. But, um, mm. so that's interesting. I kind of, I'm like, oh, should I put that in there? Should I try that? Because I do Pomodoro. Have you
1: tried the revisiting? Like, have you tried the revisiting, like, circling back to the same thing?
0: Um, I have not. And so that's where I'm like, oh, that could be interesting. Because I have noticed, like, if mm-hmm. I'll flip back through a journal and read some things, I'm like, you know, it's like um, touching a bruise that's still bruised. Like you're like, oh, it's a bruise and it's kind of fading. Mm. But then it's still there because you accidentally touch it. It's like, oh, you know, so those are some things that's a great idea mm. is to go back and revisit those mm-hmm. because I haven't worked through them mm-hmm. completely.
1: I think it can also be different purposes. Like your your initial question was helping people who are having touch getting or having trouble getting in touch with the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But it sounded like with the purpose of creating a finished work where, where Mm -hmm. they're doing that for, for who's receiving it at the end. Um, And we're, we're also kind of talking about um, writing for very personal reasons, like Mm -hmm. entirely for our own process and for our own, um, for our own healing really. um, And our own, our own care, our own caring for ourself um, as a form of self-care, but also as a form, like, I think, I think there's something beyond just the self-care, like as a form of, of, um, of, of stewarding yeah. the, the, our, 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 creative forces, right. Mm-hmm. Um, for that future work where then we're then bringing it to others. Yeah. Um, and what I didn't mention in terms of, it, of advice though, is also like, design a fun creative process like Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be what you usually do or how you usually do it Mm -hmm. and if you create some constraints and kind of figure out that process and you see it through you'll probably come up against some vulnerability on the way if you're paying attention like it's like you can design something that's fun and like that you think is going to be very approachable for you (laughs) and it can still uh like, or or that's just new to you, right? And mm-hmm. like in the process, um, things emerge. As I mentioned, I'm working on a big audio uh, poetry project. I know yeah. we're wrapping up, so I'll yeah'll the, the brief version of it is that it's my I'm taking my great grandmother's 1933 parenting handbook that she wrote while she was studying sociology and working as an educator and missionary in India. So my great-grandmother wrote this parenting handbook. I'm using cut and paste and erasure uh, poetry methods to mm-hmm. reconstruct her words into poetry, which is totally different than how I normally work, which is much more of a feeling of channeling. But this mm-hmm. is, I've, I've done a bit of this before, but this reconstruction process, right? And then performing that and creating sound art to go with it. So that is, an, that is audio poetry of my performance of it with the sound art. and even just the research process of that, like I, I'd, I'd, I'd applied for funding for this. So I'd really like, I'd pitched the whole creative process of how I would do this. And like, I'd put a lot of more, I mean, I, I've pit, I've pitched projects before, but mm-hmm. I, I tend to do things more emergently. This, I really was like, this is what it looks like. So it's, <laughs> it's you know, you'd think a very safe container, but Holy moly! Even in even in the research of it, things come out that you don't even know. You know, (laughs) so I think paying attention gets us in touch with our vulnerability. Like we don't necessarily you can seek it out, and that and that can work too. But you can design something that you don't think is about vulnerability, and if you pay close attention. If you pay attention to your body, mm-hmm. if you pay attention to the little things that happen, including the things that you don't think are relevant, like the technical issues you encounter, mm-hmm. or the, you know, like the little things that happen that aren't necessarily the writing, but like the things along the way. Like if you're paying attention, things merge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. This has been so amazing, and. I love it because so much, I learn so much and I'm always happy when I'm learning and I just, I, this is, I loved it. Um, so, so thank, thank you. you so much. When is that, do you, well, maybe you don't have a timeline on that project, but um, you said you'd applied for funding yes. and so... It's funded.
1: I am working on Ooh. it. I am in the midst of it, oh, so it'll be it. coming okay. out in in 2024. Um, there'll be I have lots cooking for that. So so there'll be there'll be an audio project coming out. Um, definitely find me. Like tell me you're interested in it. Like I'll I'll let you I'll let you know when that's released. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're curious, please get in touch and tell me. Um, but then I'll I'll be evolving that with some other iterations too. I'm looking into doing some spatial installation and kind of taking it into even other directions. So I'm I'm excited to see what twenty twenty four brings. I don't want to give you an exact date, but uh I'll definitely be there'll definitely be some bigger reveals in 2024. <laughs> this is
0: exciting. This is so exciting. I, I just have to tell mm. you like you are so inspiring. Just you just have such a great energy and just such an inspiring person. And thank you so much mm. for coming and being on my show and everything you like you just enlightened me to so much so i'm so excited to try out mm. these different styles and like of of creative processes and and my own poetry like maybe happening so this is so great and i can't wait to see like your This installation that's coming out, that'd be amazing. But um, everything that you're working on this year, I can't wait. This is so great. Mm -hmm. Thank you again for being here. And um, I hope you'll come back. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> you're welcome.
1: I hope so, too. I would love to come back. I would love to talk more about your portrait, maybe even on the show, if you're willing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thank you, because I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for you making this show to connect with other people and to to reach out. And I'm really only here because of the people who've inspired me and who believed in me. And, uh, you know, it's been it's been a culmination of many things together that allow me to be here at all. And that's why I show up and, 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 and try to come with vulnerability and care so that, so that I can pass on just a little bit of, of what's been given to me. So I appreciate
0: so much uh, you saying that and you having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely enlightened everyone. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sign My Book. If you're a fan of the show, simply hit that follow button to subscribe and never miss an episode. Then head over to Instagram and follow us there at Sign My Book. Till next week, keep writing.